Turn your Bibles this morning to the book of Ecclesiastes. A little bit smaller book, but if you get to Psalms, keep turning there towards the right a little bit, you'll get Proverbs and then Ecclesiastes. Last Sunday, I began a series of thoughts that I want to bring through the month of December here on pondering some things. We had the privilege of looking last Sunday at pondering heaven. For a few minutes, we just talked about heaven and what a privilege it's ours that God has given us a glimpse of the glory that will one day be ours in heaven. Just to, to, to see that. And we don't know it all. We don't have all the answers and we can't explain everything, but God's given us a glimpse. And man, it was, it was fun to to look at and to ponder the things of heaven for a few minutes. Throughout this month, each Sunday, we're going to be pondering different things. And for this morning, I would like you to give your mind, dedicate your heart and mind for a few minutes to pondering life. Pondering life. There are some who are so intent on seizing every moment... They're so intent on living life to its fullest and, and enjoying it all that all caution is thrown to the wind. All uh, effort at planning or thinking ahead or, or looking to the future is forgotten. And yet there are some that are so consumed with what will come or what will be that they're, they're so looking towards tomorrow or, or, or planning for the very next thing that they forgot to live today. A lot of times young people are very guilty of this because their aspirations are always for what's next. They're, they're always looking for, oh, I can't wait till I can ride a bike or I can't wait till I can get my driver's license or I can't wait till I'm in high school and I can't wait till there's always like this thing that they want to get to that they're forgetting to enjoy where they're at right now. In the book of James, a very familiar, we're only going to be there a minute, don't turn there, but a very familiar verse. There's a question presented that implies or, or basically asks of us to ponder, to think about. Our life. He says in James 4.14, for what is your life? Now we know the verse and we know that he gives us an answer there. He says, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, then vanisheth away. But if you take away that question, I mean, you take away the answer that he gives us there and just are posed with the question. And that's the question I'm posing to you this morning. What is your life? What is your life? We know that James tells us here that it's a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We know that our life is short. And the older we get, the more we realize that. The more birthdays that creep up on us, it seems like when you're younger, you're looking for that birthday to come and, it, and it's like so far away and it will never come. And then the older we get, we're like, they won't stop coming. <laughs> they just keep on rolling. It's like, will this slow down at all? 
It just, life just seems to like, you know, we were hoping we could pause for a minute, but it just keeps rolling on by and it seems like somebody pushed the pedal to the metal. Somebody has accelerated time somehow. Well, if that is true, and of course we know that it is, that certainly gives a whole lot more credence to the question that James asked. What is your life? If it's going to be passed and gone so quickly, then maybe we ought to ponder our life. Sometimes we say to young people, or maybe to others, we just say to them, you need to get a life. <laughs> you know, we're kind of in maybe a not-so-kind way saying to them, what you're investing your time in is wasting your life. This is not what you want to be taking your time doing, that you need to get a life. You need to begin to do something of value, something of meaning, something that's going to accomplish more than this. I mean, get a life, man. We tell them that to try and encourage them to not waste their days. The short amount of time that we have here on earth, we've got to value it. When you look in the Word of God, there's one writer who seems to really ponder life. The whole of his book is really just a matter of pondering and looking at life. And that is the book of Ecclesiastes. Would you look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter number 1, just the first four verses here. He first of all introduces the speaker or the writer here. He says, the words of the preacher, the son of David... King of Jerusalem, which we know as Solomon, man endued with special wisdom from God. And he says here in verse number two, he says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh. But the earth abideth forever. What he is saying here, he says, all of the effort that we do, it's like we work so hard and then you pass off the scene and another generation comes behind you and it's like you were never even here. It's like, what's the use? What's the purpose? I mean, it's all just vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all, there's no purpose or reason for any of it. I mean, why should we even bother Solomon, a man endued with wisdom from God, after having lived a life filled with immense wealth, great power, accomplishing every human endeavor that you would think about or would imagine as possible, living here under the sun, the king of a great nation, and he summarizes all of the pursuits of life as vanity. That's amazing. Uh, he, he summarized it. You, you could look at this book and actually 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, he uses the word vanity. He walks through the book and we don't have time this morning to go through and look at the different areas of life. He, he attacks different areas of life and he says, hey, the pursuit of pleasure in all that it can bring is vanity. 
The pursuit of labor and all that it can bring is vanity. He goes through many areas of life, one after the other, and, and says, ultimately, this is what I did, and this is what the people did, and this is all that was put into it, but ultimately, it was just vanity. It was meaningless. G. Campbell Morgan writes about these verses in which we've just read. He said, this man had been living through all these experiences under the sun, concerned with nothing above the sun, until there came a moment in time which, when he had seen the whole of life, and there was something over the sun, it is only as a man takes account of that which is over the sun, as well as that which is under the sun, that things under the sun are seen in their true light. Here's the difference. He says all the pursuits of life are vanity. You see, in these verses we read here, how did, how did he put it? He says, verse number three, he says, What profit hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? You see, when we begin to start to live our life in light of what's beyond the sun. You see, God and God's wisdom had Solomon write this in this perspective from down here and here alone. And he's saying this is vanity. You look at it and all this life has to offer and everything we spend our days doing. And in, in some respects, you hear these words and you think, man, that's kind of discouraging. That's kind of disheartening. I mean, what's it all for? Isn't, isn't our heart and mind, we ask the question and wonder, what's it all for? Why, why are we going through all this effort and what is it really going to accomplish? You know, my goal Many of you know that my goal as a young person was to be wealthy. I've never minded hard work. Matter of fact, my kids believe that I prefer it. <laughs> I've always enjoyed good work, and, and you know, even as a young man. Now, obviously, it's because you know, Dad worked us like crazy and kind of instilled that in us, and I would encourage you to do that for your children. That way they won't have a hard time getting a job. They ought to know how to work. But I, I, I was willing to work. I, I wasn't wanting anybody just to hand me something, but I, I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to be successful in this world and, and have a lot of this material things that this world has to offer. Except when I began to get a little older and have a little bit of wisdom, I began to see how really truly meaningless that objective was. How ultimately I knew that that is not what was going to make me happy. I looked at my life as a young man, you know, 19, 20 years old, and thinking about where am I going to be 20 years from now, and, and what's it all going to mean, and, and is this really what I want to spend my life pursuing? Beloved, then God showed me 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, where he says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 
Your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The things that we do in the name of Jesus Christ and for the cause of Christ and literally with eternity in view are not in vain. And Solomon here in this text, he summarizes the conclusion of all of his life's experiences and he says, boy, it's all vanity and vexation of soul and spirit. And yet, what was his ultimate conclusion of the whole thought? You see, he says here in verse number two, he says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Would you turn to chapter number 12 now? I want you to see in chapter number 12, in verse number 8. He says, Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, all is vanity. There's a principle in the interpretation of Scripture that uh, when you have two exact statements the material or the content in between those two exact phrases is applicable or is part of the entire thought. So we have here at the very beginning, chapter 1, verse number 2, he says, the preacher says it's all vanity. And then you get to the last chapter and verse number 8 there, and he says the exact same thing. So ultimately, all that he experienced in life, he says, boy, it's all vanity, But really, beloved, what was the conclusion he came to? Would you look down in verse number 13 and 14? In verse number 13, he says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work unto judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. He's saying, it's all vanity when you're just considering down here, when you're just thinking about this world, when you're just trying to accomplish through today what what this is meaning from this perspective. But when you look from God's perspective, it's not vanity. What we do can have meaning. It can be of great eternal weight and eternal value. He says, so what's the conclusion of the whole matter? Ultimately, through life, all that we do, if we do it outside of God, it's vanity and it's meaningless. It means nothing. But to fear God and to obey his commandments, that is the whole duty of man. What I'm asking you this morning is for a few minutes, will you ponder your life? What is your life? We know it's short. James gave us that answer. But literally, what is your life? Would you say thus far it's been vanity? It's been a lifelong pursuit of my own ambitions and my own goals and all that I want? Or would you say it is to fear God and obey his commandments? To do what God wants? Is it more than vanity? I was at BWI yesterday. Mary saw a sign that said BWI. I think it said the best or greatest airport in America, something like that. 
But there was, the sign said 50 to 70,000 people a day go through BWI. That's over 25 million a year that go through that airport. Next time you're standing in line, you know why. (laughs) And as I was in the airport, they took over an hour to get our luggage off the plane. We were standing there. And apparently they were having problems because every carousel was filled up with people standing around it. Just the whole is all packed with people. And planes keep coming. More people kept coming. But nobody was getting their luggage and leaving. The room just started getting fuller and fuller. And I knew what I was preaching on this morning in my mind. I just wondered, I wonder how many of these people, their life really has meaning. How many of these people are just going through their motions or living their days, but they really don't have any real meaning in their life? What is your life, beloved? The Bible says in Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, he says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything that we do, we should do to the glory of God. Bring meaning to your life. Do it with eternity in view. Bring meaning to your life. It's not about you. Think about God. Fear God and obey his commandments. And your life can have meaning. It doesn't have to be meaningless. It doesn't have to be vain. Vain means empty, futile. I always felt like making my bed was vain. I'm going to get in it again. (laughs) It's going to get, you know... It's just gonna. I'm just gonna get in it tomorrow. Tonight it's gonna be you know what, twelve, fifteen hours from now. Like brother Don mowing his same grass for fifty years. <laughs> vain, a vain thing. You know, there's so many things in life that we do, and it's just like, well, that's vain and empty. But when it, whatever you do, do it to the honor and glory of God, and it's not vain. It's not empty. So I want to pose a couple of questions to you about your life. Why do we do all things to the glory of God? Besides the obvious here, the command that we've been given, and he says, hey, if you don't want your life to be meaningless, if you don't want it to be empty or vain, then fear God and obey his commandments. And he's commanded us here, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. But I mean beyond that. Well, first of all, I think we should do all to the glory of God because he created us. We are his creation. He made me who I am. He gave me the abilities that I have, the strengths that I have. He knows what's best for me. He knows me better than I know myself. Not only that, he understands and knows what my weaknesses are. One one of my biggest frustrations is my memory. My brain, it's so frustrating that, you know, I can't retain the things that I study or that I work on. They just don't stay up there. But you know what? God knew I was never going to be the kind of student my wife is. My wife has the ability. She has that. She can study. She can memorize things. I, I, you know, ask her questions constantly, things that I should know that... Literally, if if it wasn't my wife and she knows who I am, I would be embarrassed to ask somebody else because they would look at me and say, don't you know that? 
Like, come on. But my mind, it just, it just goes. It's gone. I don't, I don't understand it. But God knew that. And what I'm saying is God knows you. He created you. you. The Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are. I was telling the college students that recently I was with somebody who Satan was convincing that they weren't of value. Satan was telling them that they, they, they weren't that special, that they didn't have any skills or that, that, you know, and I was telling the college students, life circumstances or maybe the way somebody treated you or maybe situations that happened sometime in the past, but Satan will come up and he'll try and convince you that your family will be better without you. He'll try and convince you that you're not of any value, but I want you to know that to God, you're of value. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. And you can look at this life and you can say, what's it all for? But God knows what it's for. And God has a plan for you. And you're fearfully and wonderfully made by the hand of God. And he wants to use you in a miraculous way. If we would just let him, we would stand back in awe and think, man, I can't believe God's doing this with me. Look at this. I mean, why am I the one up here speaking today? It's mind-boggling. The grace of God. The goodness of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Let me just encourage you that God created you and he has a plan for your life. So you've got to give to all to the honor and glory of God that you might fulfill the purpose that he has for you. Not only did he create you, beloved, but he saved me. He saved my soul. He forgave me of my sin. And I know that when the day comes that I pass off this earth, that I will wake up in glory in the arms of Jesus because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He saved me. Man, I've got to do all to the honor and glory of God. In 2 Timothy 1, verse number 9, he says, Who has saved us? Who has saved us? And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given in Christ Jesus. He saved us for a purpose. Man, we got to do all to the honor and glory of God because he created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows exactly where we'll fit and what we can do and how we will most be, accomplish the most in this world. Can I ask you this morning, do you love him? Yes. Thank you, Bill. Do you love him? Yes. Amen. Amen. But what does the Bible say? If you love me, keep my commandments. What did Ecclesiastes say, Solomon there? He says, hey, the whole duty of man is to fear God and what? Keep his commandments. So I asked you, do you love him? And everybody said yes. Everybody said, mm-hmm. And a few people just agreed in their mind, didn't say anything. <laughs> but, you know, he said you love him. He says, okay, you love me, keep my commandments. But that's how your life has meaning. That's how your days are not just a day where you get up and you go to work and you eat some food and you go to bed and you get up and you go to work and you eat some food and you go to bed. You're just going through the mundane motions of life, but your life has purpose. What is your life? My life 
is a pursuit of bringing honor and glory to God and has eternal weight and eternal value because to the best of my limited and weak ability, I'm fulfilling God's purpose. Praise God. There was a Japanese statesman from World War II that he's talking about his emperor and he said, we do not worship our emperor. We love him completely. Total regiments volunteered for duties that were sure and certain death during the war. Can I tell you, if you Christians loved your God the way we Japanese love our emperor, you would have long ago taken the world for him. So do you love him? then we're going to obey his commandments. We're going to fear God. We're going to, or your life will have purpose and meaning. So not only do we, why do we do this? Because he created us, because he saved us, and because he wants what's best for us. But when do we do all to the glory of God? When are we going to get around to it, is what I'm saying. We've been saved for a year or two or 10 or 50. When are we going to get to doing all that we do for the honor and glory of God. Could I tell you, beloved, now? Let's do it now. Time's flying by. What is your life? We know it's a vapor. It passes quick. It appears for a little time, then vanishes away. If we're going to do something for God that's going to bring honor and glory to God, we've got to do it now. You, I mean, we're closing in on the end of 2022. And I know most of you here, at least if you're above 30... You can't believe it. You're shocked. Like, can't believe There's There are many of you in here that you never thought that you would see the year 2000. In your mind, you thought, that's so far away. That's like the turn. You, you remember those old popular mechanics magazines that used to have the things like in the year 2000. This was like the year. And, you know, there's going to be flying vehicles and all that other stuff they said we were going to have and all that. But the year, like the year 2000 was like so far away. You realize we're encroaching upon a quarter of the next century's already gone? Yeah. I'm saying, when, when are we going to get around to honor and glorying God with our lives? We need to do it now. John 9 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me. Well, it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. One of the hard things about this time of year is it gets dark so early, it's almost like you can't accomplish anything before it's nighttime again. It just get, encroaches on everything, that, that darkness. And, and here John's saying, listen, the, the time's coming when it's going to be dark and, and the opportunity to do something for God is going to be gone. Don't put it off. There's no time to lose or all time will be lost. Don't put it off another year. Don't even put it off another day. Don't say, hey, January 1, I'm going to start... I'm going to start doing this. No, start today. Start right now. We've put it off long enough. How many of us, and you don't have to raise your hand because I know we're all guilty. We've all had ambition and plans about starting something sometime. You know, whatever it is, you can fill in the blank. I'm going to do that. Yeah, I'm going to get that room organized. And it's been three years. (laughs) That's on my plan. The garage is going to get cleaned up someday. It's, uh, it's in the plans, but 
You know, we just got that. It's going to happen sometime. And beloved, we think about many people, oh, I'm going to give time to God and I'm going to honor God whenever I get established in a job and I'm, and I'm not, you know, everything's such and such a flux right now. And once I get the job settled, then I'll be okay. Or I'm gonna, once I have a family and I'm, I'm married and my wife and I will do this together. Oh, but then kids come along and oh, the kids are such a distraction. Well, I'll wait until the kids are settled and, and at least in school or, or maybe until the kids are gone and then we can, we can spend time and work for God because we won't have the distraction of the kids. And before you know it, what is your life? It's gone. It's gone. And the opportunity to do for God is gone. Don't put it off another day. The harvest window is short. A few years ago, I was visiting New York. A number of years ago, time flies. I can't even remember how long ago it was. It, doesn't seem, it seems like it was yesterday, but I was recently looking at some video files of the church history stuff putting together for next year. And uh, I'm like, man, that just seems like yesterday. And Mary's like, that was 11 years ago. 11 years. What in the world? Anyway, so I don't know when it was, but sometime I was in New York. And it was harvest time, and we were driving by, and Dad knew this farmer that was running these really awesome combines, all computerized, beautiful machines. They had three of them out there running. And he says, let's stop and talk to him. So we went up there, and he pulled over. He saw Pastor Bottrell, you know, everybody knows Dad. And he walks up there, and we get inside the combine, and we're talking to him. And he had 3,000 acres that he had to get in. And uh, I said, how long a days are you running? He says, we run night and day until it's all in. He said, if, if it snows, it's all trash. If the snow flies before it's harvested, then it's trash. We've lost it. So we, don't, we, we basically run nonstop between now. He said, it'll be about three and a half weeks. We'll be nonstop harvesting this stuff. There's only a short window. We've only got a little time to bring honor and glory to God, to do what God wants us to do. Can I encourage you to witness to your family now? You've been thinking in your heart and mind, I'm going to do that someday. I'm going to sit down with them and I'm going to tell them about the love of Jesus sometime. Now. Don't put it off another season. This is Christmas. You're going to talk to them sometime this Christmas on the phone, or maybe see them in person. You'll have an opportunity. And in your heart and mind, you've thought, I'm going to do that sometime. Could I encourage you to do it now? Yes. Some, some of you are, uh, you've been thinking for a long time that you're going to do what you can to repair that relationship with a brother or sister, mom or dad, somebody. You've thought in your mind, I, I need to talk to them. I need to get that fixed. And how many years has it been? Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Time's flying by. One day runs into two and two into ten and ten into a hundred. You know what a wasted life is? It's just an accumulation of wasted days. One day at a time. Just one day at a time. Yeah. Some people die in ashes. Some people die in flames. Some people die inch by inch playing silly little games.
saying, you're wasting your life. I mean, the question we asked at the beginning, what is your life? My goal and ambition desire this morning is that you would ponder and think about your life. What, it, what are we accomplishing with the time and the days that we have? Harvest time is short. The opportunity to do for God isn't long. Go ahead and make those changes in your life that you need to make. You thought, boy, I need to do that. I need to do that sometime. And you've been thinking about it for a long time. But now it's time to do it. And then how do we do all things to the glory of God? Let me just say, beloved, that it takes total commitment. Total commitment is the secret to an effective Christian life. There are too many Christians that want to accomplish it. They desire it, but they want to do it halfway. Can I tell you, my wife's not real thrilled with a husband that's only halfway committed to her. Well, I love you. I'll I'll come home when I need something. You know, do we love God or do we love what God can do for us? Total commitment, beloved. Many times, Christians want to wait and see how everything is going to go. How is everything going to shake out before we commit to make that change or to be a part of that? We can even use the example of sign-up sheets out here on the foyer. A very simple thing like that. But, you know, just as human nature, we don't like to commit. We don't like to sign up, sign on the dotted line. (laughs) You know, we put a sign-up sheet out there and say, okay, if you want to come and be a part of this, put your name down. And we announce it for weeks and weeks you could sign up any time, but people are waiting. Like, I want to see who else signs up. I want to see if, if this person is going to go or that person is going to go. I want to see what other opportunities we might have. Maybe something else will come up. And, and so, I, no, I'm not quite, I don't know. Maybe I'll go. I'm still thinking. We're, I mean, that's just a simple little illustration. But, you know, human nature, we're, we're just not ready to commit, are we? But total commitment is what it takes to bring honor and glory to God. Being totally committed. Sometimes God will bring tests into our lives to check how committed we are. Are you passing the test? Mark 8.35 says, Whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. This is backwards. It's upside down by the world's thinking, by the world's philosophy. You know, a lot of times, quite literally, in God's economy, things are backwards from world's mentality, from our, our thinking. You know, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's backwards from the world's economy. Uh, you know, it's it, it just, there's many things in God. You got to, uh, what does he say? Humble yourself and I will lift you up. That's backwards from the world's thinking. So here he says, hey, if you will lose your life for my sake, you'll gain it. So what is your life? Many times people are endeavoring and spending their entirety of their life trying to make it mean something. When if we would lose our life for God, he would give it back in ways that we can't even imagine. Bring so much fulfillment 
so much meaning, so much things of eternal weight and glory that we can't even comprehend it. What we find, beloved, when we give ourselves to God is if we just lose our life in his will, that he will multiply our life many times over and give it back. You can read in the book of Nehemiah, chapter number 10. We're not going to turn there. I would ask maybe you want to read it later. But there's a group of people in Nehemiah, chapter number 10. The first half of the chapter or three quarters of the chapter is a list. Talks to you about all the people that basically signed on the dotted line. That committed. That said, I'm going to do this. And then the remainder of the chapter talks about what they committed. The commitment that they made to God. It was a total and complete commitment. They committed that they would observe the Sabbath. They would keep it holy, committed to God. They they weren't going to skip or miss church. They said, this is the Lord's day and we're going to be there. They committed to keep the law, to observe God's commandments, the the law that, that God had written to them. They said, okay, we will obey and keep the law. They said they committed that they weren't going to intermarry with the heathen nations that were around them. That they would live according to the word of God that he had given unto them. It's amazing when you read that and the commitment that they made. But that's what it takes, beloved, is total commitment. That's how you will start to bring honor and glory to God. And that's how our life will start to have real meaning. As I bring this to a close, I want to read for you some verses from the book of Psalms. Psalms 84, verses 10, 11, and 12. If you want to look at it in the Word of God, Psalms 84, verses 10, 11, and 12. Psalms 84 is a great, powerful chapter. You can read the entirety of it, but just I want to close with these thoughts. He says here, For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tits of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Ponder those verses in light of today's message. What is your life? I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. God is a sun and shield. God's going to take what we give and multiply it many times over in ways that we can't even imagine if we'll just yield to him. Beloved, I desire so much that my life would count for something. That it would be meaningful. And I don't have to wonder how to do that. Because God told us in his word. Fear God and keep his commandments.